All right, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started here. So we've got some songs. We're going to be led by a praise team this morning. I'm so happy in here to read the Jesus took my burden all away. Now I'm singing as the days go by. Jesus took my burden all away. Once my heart was heavy with the load of sin, Jesus took that load and gave me peace within. Now I'm singing and the days of Jesus took my burden all away. I'm so happy and here's the reason why, Jesus took my burden all away. Now I'm singing and the days go by, Jesus took my burden all away. building that we have to meet in and and, um, and all the people that have come this morning to to worship you and sing praises to you and 
um, and to study your word this morning. I thank you for Brother Ken coming and, and ministering to us uh, from you, and I just thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we've got Brother Ken with us. Um, he's going to do our, our worship hour. And we've got a praise team that's gonna that's doing that. Our choir is gonna do a special right now. So let's do that. <clears throat>
wonderful. Uh, you should just spend time with us. We're wonderful people. So uh, we like John and Hannah too. Uh, sweet couple. I love this church. The people, you guys are easy to speak to. I spec- spoke at a men's conference here a year or so ago. Uh, maybe it was before COVID and uh, had a great time with the guys too. And uh, uh, just a good time together. And uh, so this is Thanksgiving week. 
Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, uh, family are like fish, after three days they stink. And uh, so, he, he was never very good with family, so Benjamin Franklin wasn't. Uh, families are a hoot. They can also be a kick in the head, can't they? It's just like at that one time where somebody says something absolutely they shouldn't have said that brings up everything, just kind of sends everything south. Um, they can be your greatest joy and your biggest despair. I want to talk about relationships this morning. Um, so if I could talk to you about having a great family, would you be interested? Yes. Uh, maybe you're struggling raising your kids. Um, maybe your marriage could use some tweaking. Maybe your marriage could use a lot of tweaking. Maybe an overhaul. Um, I don't know. Uh, every child's different. And then every child's different, then every child's different, right? And every family's different. Uh, I have a true story. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say the names. You'll never meet these people this side of heaven. But I'm not going to say their names. But I promise you it's a true story. There's this lady that asked her husband. This lady is calm, quiet, kind, unassuming, sweet. She asked her husband to put a nail by the, by the side of the uh, front door so she could hang just a small nail by the side of the door so she could hang a picture. And uh, he didn't do it. He forgot. Hey, guys, if your wife ever asked you to do something, you know, and you slipped. After about a month and several um, requests, um, Jim always oh, his name. Um, if you're Jim, it's not you. Um, and you'll never meet Jim, so forget it. Um, Jim went out into the garage and got a gutter nail. Now, if you don't know what a gutter nail is, they're about like, they're 10 inches, 12 inches long, right? So you can put it through the gutter and into the fascia. And he went there and took a hammer and drove that gutter nail through the wall and through the outside siding. Went outside and clenched the nail over the siding. Wow. You thought you had a dysfunctional family. <laughs> Whereas Trudy, oh, I said her name, uh, went into the bedroom and took several of the favorite pairs of his pants and cut the zippers out of them. <laughs> so there are dysfunctional families. Families are hard work, aren't they? They really are. Um, being prepared for parenting is hard and being a grandparent's hard as well. We get the great opportunity of being a positive influence in our kids life but we see things that just wear us out are you are you like me that four-year-old kid that just absolutely drives you crazy and it's everything you can say to not say something and ruin it all um, but I, I'm gonna give you some Biblical advice. And, and maybe you're here this morning. You say, well, I'm not married. This, this isn't for me. How do I have a good family? I'm going to give you some advice that I wish I would have had before I got married. Does that sound like worth listening to then? Yes. Okay. Uh, here's my plan of attack. I'm going to tell you about the most dysfunctional family that ever existed. Ever. Like they say in Boston. Ever. Ever. Uh, it's a story in the Bible. And I've... In all my 47 years of, of uh, ministry, I've never seen a family this, this dysfunctional. This guy had what amounted to was four wives. Um, he was tricked. 
the one he actually loved, he didn't get. And he got this, his, her older sister. She gave a concubine. Some of you already know the story, don't you? So just listen like you've never heard it before. <laughs> so then he, he serves seven years, gets Rachel. You know the story's Jacob. And he loves Rachel. Rachel can't conceive. God closed the womb. And so she gives a concubine to Jacob. Is this family messed up? After it all happens, God opens the womb of Rachel. She has two children. One's Joseph and one is Benjamin. She dies as she's giving birth to Benjamin. And she says, I want to name his name Benaiah, son of my sorrow. How would you like to be named that? Hey, sorry, guy. How would you like that? And, and Jacob says, no, he's going to be called Benjamin, son of my right hand. Um, so it becomes a place of power and authority. He wants to recognize these two children, Joseph and, and Benjamin. Um, but he plays favorites. Um, he makes Joseph this coat of many colors. Today, that's not such a big deal because look at all the different colors in this room. But to make a coat that had so many different colors would have had tremendous amount of detail and attention and wealth to make that happen. And he makes this coat a coat of many colors. Well, this makes these boys even more jealous of these two golden child. Do you have a favorite child in your family? You have a black sheep and a white sheep and a golden child in your family? I know, my mom loved me more than my brothers. I just can't help it. If they weren't such idiots, of course she would love me them. But no, I'm, if, you, if you're the black sheep, maybe you should wonder why you are the black sheep. I don't know. But that's a sign. So they're, they're uh, the golden children. These, these brothers, uh, back, back to the Bible, okay? Don't think about your family now and all that. Um, so these brothers are really rough guys. Um, let me kind of tell you just a little bit about them. Uh, one of them uh, is Judah. Uh, he grew up to be an adulterer. Very sordid story. It's like uh, Housewives of L.A., Housewives of Dallas, Housewives of Atlanta, all put together. Uh, this is a nasty story about Judah and, and this this woman that he got at the, that the, at the gates outside the city uh, has a child with her. Uh, Reuben uh, comes up with a great plan. He, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Reuben is a guy that's killed uh, people. He slept with his father's concubine, kind of a power play to take on control of the family. Uh, there's a man that raped Jacob's daughter, Dinah, and he wants to marry her. And so... Uh, Jacob says, well, you have to be circumcised. And so while these guys were sore, just as they are, are the, at this point of real uh, physical debility, Levi and Simeon uh, go into this small village and kill all 50 of the men. Uh, these brothers are not to be trifled with. They're not just, I'm sure... Uh, you've heard, you probably said to your brother or sister, I'm going to kill you. You, you, know, you. you don't mean it, but you say something like that, just outlandishly like that. And, uh, but when they said, I'm going to kill you, they meant it. These guys were not to be trifled with. And they see Joseph coming. The story is kind of uh, that he's younger. 
and he's bringing them water and food. And they say, here comes the dreamer because God had given Joseph a dream that they, these stocks would bow down to them and that the moon, the moons and stars would bow down to him. And, um, and they said, here comes the dreamer. Let's, let's kill him. Let's just kill him. And we'll take that coat of many colors. We'll dip it in animals, but we'll just tell dad that Job got tangled up with a animal and it killed him. And there you go. And so Judah's thinking, well, okay, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of too much. Let's just put him in a pit and let him die slowly. <laughs> really? That's your answer? Uh, let's still take the coat. We'll do so. And then uh, they look up and they see the Valley of Megiddo is like 30 miles long. And see, this is what's so cool about Pastor Tim and John being in Israel it's kind of like the Bible 3D. You can see where all these things happen. So they're standing on this, you know, the brow of Nazareth. They could be over on Mount Carmel where Elijah was. And you can see up and down the valley of Megiddo, about 10 miles wide, 30 miles long. You can see the village of Nain over there. They see these Midianites coming down this King's Highway. It's the land bridge between uh, Europe and Asia going down into Egypt, which is, was the world power at the time. And they said, there's some Midianites. Hey guys, let's make a little jack. Sally will still take the coat. We'll still do the blood thing. We'll tell daddy died, but we'll make a little money on the site. And they go, great idea. So they do that. They take it back to Jacob. He's absolutely decimated. You can imagine for the next 20 years, these guys keep up the lie. Isn't that really mean? Uh, he said, actually, when it's revealed to him, Jacob says, my life came for me when he died. Anybody that's lost a child knows a little bit about part of you dies when your child dies. Something you'd never wish upon somebody. And these guys did that. And, uh, and they were walking around with this, with, this, uh, with this secret their whole life. And he gets to... Um, now... Now, if you, were, if you were really just reading this story, you'd say, end of story. Terrible victim, bad story, terrible ending. But God wasn't done, was he? Amen. He wasn't going to let that happen. And in chapter uh, 39, verse 2, the Bible says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous, prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. In, in Genesis 39 verse 21 the bible says but the lord was with joseph joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison um i just kind of want to show you my bible on this um i do what i call railroad tracking in my bible if a thought that i think is repeated they have a picture right here on the screen uh i, I mark through my bible so that when i come back to that passage i go oh I remember that. I don't know if you think that's wrong. You can do whatever you want with your Bible, but that's what I do. And here it is twice in the same kind of text. We have the Lord was with Joseph. The story is going to turn out all right. God zaps the brothers. He restores Joseph and Joseph is Jacob's favorite son again. Happily ever after. Is that what happened? No. no. And this is what... The Lord is with you when you go through difficult times. 
He doesn't rescue you out of something. Was Joseph responsible for this? Yes or no? No. You know, there are a lot of victims in sin that aren't responsible for what happens. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? But the Lord was with him. Now, I just want you to know this. If you know God as your Savior, the Bible says that he is with you. Amen. Um, I don't know if you're suffering through financial struggles, but the Lord's with you. I don't know if somebody in your family's, you know, on, on crack or in meth. I, I, there was this kid named Neil at Renewal Church where I'm an elder at the church uh, and a deacon. And he, he was into drugs, even went to prison for drugs, got out, found our church online. He lives in downtown Boston with his parents. He's 25 years old, done time, came to church, got saved, got baptized. I'd radically changed his life. The Lord with Neil. And Neil told me, I took him out to Five Guys. We're sitting there eating a hamburger. And he said, I realize this. If I don't put God in my life, I'm going to end up like my sister who's divorced and has an addiction. His mom is uh, addicted to pain, prescription medications and things like that. His dad's a drunk. He goes, I'm going to end up like my family. I need the Lord with me. You need the Lord with you. Now, that doesn't make everything go away. There are a whole lot of preachers, if you want to turn on television today, that say, once you get saved, God just turns everything over and you just become wealthy, healthy, and prosperous. That isn't always the case. And this example proves it out. If your work's going badly, God's with you. Anybody here work with a, with a bad boss? Don't raise your hand. Hand it home. <laughs> don't raise your yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's the other way around. Uh, you work and you're bad for your boss. Maybe you have, maybe you have people in your. You work with coworkers that think they're the boss. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can really get weird. Um, see, Jacob wanted to pressure Joseph to fit into this plan that he had, but God had hugely different plans. The Lord was with him. But we, if we're reading in this story and we haven't read to the 50th chapter of the book of Genesis, we're going like, how could God be with him? But God is with him to do an incredible thing, much greater than Joseph, er, Jacob ever thought would happen with Joseph. Um, I need to say this so loud that you don't forget, God is with you. Say, say that to the person next to you. God is with you. Now, imagine this. You live in an entire world where most of the people that you work with, you're the only person that God is with you. Wouldn't it be a terrible way to live your life without God with you? God was with him. So, Here's the story. He sends him off. These Midianites make a little money too. They send, sell him to Potiphar, who happens to be like the head of secret service for Pharaoh and his wife. And, and Joseph is good looking. He's uh, focused and deliberate and organized. And he just rises to the top and he hits into the very highest echelon of Potiphar's house. And is the next in command under his wife. 
And she starts hitting on him. Are you kidding me? And he's like, no, no. Look at this verse. Neither hath he, this is Joseph's response to her. Neither hath he, that's Potiphar, kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Wow. And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Day after day, she's propositioning him. Finally, in verse 12, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Let me say it the way it actually happened. She said, lie with him. However, you know. And he's like, no, no. And she grabs his coat and he takes off. This guy has trouble with coats. Doesn't he? Really? Yeah. And, and look at this. Um, and she called, she called the man of her, the men of her house and spake at them saying, see, he hath brought in a Hebrew to us to mock us. He came unto me to lie with me. And I cried out loud, a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until the Lord came, until his Lord came home. Here's the evidence. And there's Joseph. Honey, do something with him. Now he has three choices. He can kill Joseph. He's just a slave. He can make him a eunuch. Or he could put him in prison. Now, if God is with you, which one of those great choices do you want? <laughs> None of them, right? I think Pharaoh goes like, mm, I don't really believe the story, but okay, put him in prison, which I think is probably of the three, maybe the best choice. And here he is. He's in jail. The Lord's with him. Uh, and he rises to the top because he never considers what's happening to be something, the circumstances that he can't live above with the Lord in his life. Isn't that a really great story? No matter, most of us haven't been through this kind of a debilitating scenario. And here's Joseph that still continues to plot on. Uh, amen for him, right? Yeah. Me, I would be drowning in the Ken Gilman pity party. How about you? I'd be saying, God, you know, if you treat your friends better, you might have a few more. So he's faithfully serving. Um, Lord's with him. And year after year, this goes on. Finally, there's this baker and a butler. They have these dreams. And the baker has this basket of bread. The birds are picking at the bread. The butler has this, uh, this coat restored to him, this, this serving thing restored to him. He said, could you tell us what this means? And Joseph says, well, um, yeah. In three days, Baker, you're going to lose your head. And in three days, Butler, you're going to be restored to your position to Pharaoh. But remember me when you get back to Pharaoh. And it happens exactly as Joseph says. And 
So the Lord's with Joseph. The butler gets there and says, you know, Pharaoh, this guy, he's incredible. He told this to happen. You need to elevate him to a place of power. And it all turned happily ever after. Am I right again? No. What is God up to? He, the butler forgets all about him. Here is Joseph, hundreds of miles away from his home in a prison and nobody to help him. Is that a bad world to be in? Absolutely. Still faithful to God. Finally, years go by. Pharaoh has this dream of uh, seven fat cows, cows, seven skinny cows, uh, seven ears of, of corn that are just sumptuous and seven really dried up ears. What does this mean? Nobody can tell him. And finally, the belt goes like, duh, I know a guy. Now, he doesn't say it like that. He's from prison. I know a guy. Uh, yeah, I know a guy. And... He says, who? And he goes and gets Joseph from prison. And Joseph says, he says, can you tell the meaning of this dream I'm having? And Joseph says, he answers Pharaoh saying, it is not me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You see, God was with Joseph, but Joseph knew that God was with Joseph. See, that's the difference. God can be with you and you can just run right through the stop signs. But God was with him and he knew it and told so. Uh, he interprets a dream and Pharaoh makes Joseph the second highest in command, gives him this, the coolest wheels, this chariot that's only second to Pharaoh's. He's right behind him in prestige and power. And look at this in Genesis 41 verses 41 through 43. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in a vesture of fine linen. Here it goes, the coat again. <laughs> At this point, I'm like, okay, I'll put the coat on. But this isn't going to end well, right? He put a gold chain, a gold chain about his neck. He made him to ride the second chariot, which he had, and cried before him, bow the knee, and he made, them, made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. A really cool story. And he does, it happens exactly like that. Seven years of plenty, seven years of drought. And uh, here it is. They eventually, Joseph's brothers end up in Egypt. Jacob stands around and they're starving to death. He says, Get off your duff and get down to Egypt and get us some food, guys. So I go down there. This is a really sordid story that I don't have time. I'm doing 13 chapters of the Bible right here, okay? But they come and go. He takes uh, collateral. He, he accuses them of stealing, yada, 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 the whole story. They're freaking out. They come back the second time. Simeon's left the, you know, the murderer guy, the guy that's the meanest guy. He puts him in prison, all that kind of thing. He makes this meal for them. He gives Benjamin. He says, don't come back. Unless you bring your little brother Benjamin. He already knew all the things about, don't you have a, do you, is this all the kids in your family? Well, we got a little, but dad loves him. He couldn't let him, he goes, don't you even show your face here again if you don't bring your brother, your little brother. And when he comes back with Benjamin, he gives him this five times more food. And this is in a drought, right? Gives him five more times food. And uh, finally he calls all the Egyptians out of the room. And now, Joseph, they don't recognize him. You know why? Because he's looking like King Tut. You know, Uba, Uba. Right? And he was just a little kid. 
They, they've gone in their mind. In fact, they talk in front of him. They don't realize that he can speak Hebrew. And, they, and one of them says to the other one, I told you, we should have never killed that. We should have never done that to Joseph. This is just kind of like sowing and reaping. They talk in front of Joseph like that. He sends them all out and he takes his headdress off and, his, his, uh, and makes his face, his face himself known. Oh no, my, my phone's ringing. Uh, <laughs> I told you I was really cool, but I'm not organized. So he takes that off and he says, I'm Joseph. And they can't believe it. And it all happens to where they all come back in and they, um, they re they're restored. They, they live, Jacob actually comes back and lives in Egypt. And it's an incredible thing. In, in Genesis 50, 20, the Bible says, But as for you, he thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. He says later on, it's 63 people that were saved. Because of all this sordid story, God did that so that he could save those. And that's not the end of the story. Because Israel stays in Egypt for 430 years. And there are, when they leave Egypt, they leave Egypt with, the Bible says that God gives them the, they, that they found grace in the sight of the Egyptians because of all that God had done in those 12 miracles. And they walk out of there, 600,000 men and their wives, probably a, at least a million and a half people are leaving. That's really not the end of that story. Because God is using, is choosing to save Israel so that they could eventually bring into this world Jesus Christ that could save their people from the sins. <laughs> Jacob had such a small vision for his son, a coat of many colors, when God was going to use him to bring redemption to the history of the world. Aren't you glad God had a bigger idea than Jacob did? Amen. Amen. Well, this teaches us three things real quickly. I want to put something in your lunch pail so you can take it home with you, okay? I hope you chew on this all afternoon. The coat of many, many colors teaches us we don't own our children. Here's the truth. Jacob felt like he owned his children. But our children are not ours. They're God's. I told you one little part of this story that God had closed the womb of Rachel. Do you know what? It's God that gives you your children. Not you. You know that saying, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. You know, moms, when you said that. Well, in our reality, as much as you think that was a part of you, it's God that decided whether you'd have children or not. You're just a caretaker. I have this schizophrenia ownership with my kids. I want God to use them. But on the other hand, I want to control everything that happens around my kids. Are you like that? Yeah. We want the best for them, but we don't realize that sometimes God is going to put us in a scenario that we desperately need to allow God to work in their life and we can't control that. In fact, the Bible says, train up a child the way she go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Which means build character in your kids, but don't decide what they're going to do. Now, this is the part that I want you to kid, kids to know or young adults to know if you aren't married. Um, your parents can't script your life for you. You have to own your own life. Now, it becomes a propensity of almost every parent to try and direct the kids into a vocation or a situation. Um, 
They might have wisdom in that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go with it. But in the end, the call is your call, not theirs. Um, we're to teach them character, biblical values, not to create an impossible expectation for them to live up to. I think the reason there are black sheep in a family is because sometimes kids look and say, you know, that's not even a possibility, a realm of possibility about the direction I want to go. And they push back against that. And I'm making a broad statement here, okay? So don't, don't write every statement I'm saying to you. Just be careful to say that they're God's kids. Um, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I, I don't know if you've known this, but I, I, I'm a pretty good parent. My kids are both in church. My daughter is a pastor's wife, and they love the Lord. And my grandkids are saved, the ones that are old enough to be saved. So I think, I'm, I think that's success in my, in my turn. Wouldn't you agree? You want our kids to know. But I had this idea for my son. I, I played baseball in college. I was really good. I was the star. I'm, I tell you, I'm great. But I, I led the team in batting average. Uh, I was a good fielder. I had a rotten arm. Um, but I just knew my son, Kenny, was going to be my namesake. See, that's another thing. We own our kids by naming them after us because we want them to be like us, you know? Wow. What was I thinking? Anyway, uh, I throw the ball to Kenny. He misses it by that much. So he's probably 10, 12. I keep throwing, I throw it fast, I throw it slow, I throw it at him, thinking maybe he'll just defend himself with the bat. <laughs> In 30 minutes, he's exhausted, I'm furious. You're my kid, you're gonna be a hitter. I was a hitter. He needed glasses. <laughs> That's just one of the messes I've made. Every one of your kids is different. I told you at the start. It takes a different way of parenting every child. Isn't that a tragedy that you have to do that? But they're not yours. They're God's. And he will take them home when he decides. And he will use them in a way that he sees fit. And Joseph missed that. He didn't realize that God had a plan for Joseph's life. That was much bigger than his plan. Your parents don't own you if you're, if, if you're single. Your parents don't own you. God has a plan for your life. And I don't know. What, you might have to go through the things that Joseph went through. But God has a plan for your life. And someday when your parents are gone, you'll realize for the first time. You look around and you go like, it's only me. I decide now. That's a really cool place to be, but it should be a place all the time. Um, secondly, the coat torn off of Joseph from Potiphar's wife teaches us purity. Imagine what this story would look like if Joseph would have said, well, you know what? My dad wasn't exactly a stellar example in moral purity. I think I'll just kind of have a good time. I mean, after all, I'm in Egypt. Nobody would know. I've been wrongly accused. Do you see how that we excuse our sin? God is more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. How many of you know this world we live in has gone stupid about this? Yeah. Everything that's 
right is wrong, everything that's wrong is right. You can do absolutely anything. Um, again, moral purity is something you give your kids as a gift. If you're a parent and you're faithful to your spouse, that's a gift to your kids to say, it can be done. It's, it's an amazing thing that kids can't tend to catch the worst part of us better than they catch the best part of us. I don't know how that is, but my kids always caught my temper, right? Yeah. And maybe our kids don't listen to us because they see what we really are like. Uh, I know a man who's a successful insurance salesman, still is. He wanted to take his business on the Fortune 500. Uh, he, he was cutting corners, though. Uh, he'd cheat uh, at his job. He'd cheat on his wife. Right now, he's 50 years old. He's wealthy. He's paying for another man to, to raise his children with his divorced wife. That's not the way you should live your life. Live it in moral purity. As difficult as it is in the world that we live in, I just compel you to live in moral purity. Um, maybe your family's a terrible example of that. But live in moral purity. The third thing is, the code of, of Pharaoh put on Joseph teaches us that God blesses us in most supernatural ways. God can work good to come from bad, no matter how bad the family can come you came from. Let me say that again. God can work good to come from bad, no matter how bad the family you came from. In fact, God took the greatest, most horrendous thing that ever happened in the world. When they killed his son, they committed <coughs> deicide. And God took that terrible, horrible thing and created a path for us to find eternal life. If God can take that and work it for good, he can take whatever's happened in your life and work it out for good. I don't know if your families are meth heads. I don't know if they go from one job to the other. If they don't know God. But God can work good from it. Your life. No matter how bad your family is. Uh, I can't tell you how much God has blessed me. I'm not a millionaire. I'm a thousandaire. Something like that. <laughs> My goal is never to become rich. Material things. I respect money, but it doesn't own me. Amen. Actually, I'm rich because God's provided everything I need for Shirley and I to live. Um, God's blessed us with, with two children that are alive. We had a son that was killed when he was 18 in a car wreck on the way to church. Uh, that give us great joy. We have um, two grandkids from my son, Kenny, and three from Heather and Jared. And then they adopted a little South African boy last year. I am so blessed. Um, they're all attending church. And I've been married now uh, 47 years. In 2025, I'll be married 50 years. I don't even look that old. I was, I was married as a baby. I was. Um, Shirley's been a great voice of encouragement to me and a voice of caution in my life. Um, I have no idea where God was taking us, but she's been on this ride with me. It's a pretty cool ride. Um, and we've been faithful to each other. Isn't that a good thing? Amen. And someday, one of us, probably, unless we're killing a car wreck, will 
One of us will die and the other one will go home to an empty house. Some of you have been there already. And you'll think, well, he's with the Lord or she's with the Lord. But I'm so glad I got to live with him. Don't you want that to be the end of the story? Rather than, I know every intimate detail about you and I don't like you. How would you like to live that life? Allow God first place in your life and he'll work even difficult things out for good. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, thank you for your word, for the principles that it teaches us, for your Holy Spirit that teaches us to change our lives. And when we act upon the words that you've given us this morning so that we be called faithful servants in Jesus name. Amen.